It's as if we have information about who the least healthy people are in the country, and that's what we're focused on, instead of trying to understand who the most healthy folks are and how we can get healthier as a community. Welcome to this episode of the Keynotes Podcast. I'm Marcus Chavez, the Communications Director for the Keystone Policy Center. I hope you were able to join us for our last episode on the report we released last year called Colorado's Missing Year. The report gathered and analyzed the admittedly limited publicly available data to assess education in Colorado in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. I highly recommend you listen to that episode as you will learn more about the report and how the data revealed critical gaps in student learning across the state, but also indicated some potential bright spots. The heart of this conversation we had last time certainly touched upon student performance during the pandemic, but more broadly, and more importantly, the real focus was that any assessment of the state of education is only as good as the data available. And we have a long way to go in that department. Primarily, we need more transparency to make informed decisions about how to best meet the needs of our students. But having said that, there is a lot to learn about what is successful in education and what we can do to adapt or scale those successful efforts more broadly. A task that is certainly a steep one in a diverse state like Colorado. I mean, what works for Denver Public Schools may not necessarily work in Jackson County in the north or Montezuma County in the southwest areas of the state, and vice versa. Additionally, there are several different models, curricula, and school governing types that need to be explored to get a robust set of approaches that are finding success in education. So, naturally, somebody should study those other models. Well, you know nobody likes publishing a report like the Keystone Policy Center. And in an effort to provide leaders with a more comprehensive view of the state of education in the wake of COVID-19, we did just that. Just a few weeks ago, we issued another report, this time focused on the performance of charter schools. It is entitled Colorado's Missing Year Charter School Performance, and it explored recent enrollment and academic performance data to examine how charter schools fared relative to the state and other school district managed public schools in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Most of you listening to this podcast will know that one of the main defining characteristics of a charter school compared to district-run schools is governance. Charter schools, just like general district-run schools, are public schools. They are simply given more autonomy to develop their curricula and approach, but are also held up to an increased accountability. Michael Hayes, the executive director of Compass, a nonprofit organization that operates the Carbondale and Aspen Community Charter Schools, explains. A charter is really another word for a contract. And um, the charter refers to the contract between the authorizing district, which is almost always the geographic district in Colorado, or in a very few cases, a state authorizer called the Charter School Institute. And that charter or contract lines out the relationship between the district and the charter school. And charters exchange greater autonomy and specific waivers from uh, certain state requirements uh, for greater accountability in that if we don't get it done, we close. (laughs) We're we're an opt-in system, so our families choose to come to us. And if we're not good, they don't come to us anymore. 
Uh, and likewise, if we're not good, then we get closed. So with that as a background, let's get into the charter school performance report. Once again, this report was led by Van Scholes, who wanted to examine how the governing structure of charter schools perhaps differed in how they supported students during the pandemic compared to district-run schools. There are a few reasons why we wanted to look at the charter sector in particular. One is um, there are charters in every part of the state. Um, two, there are also, it's a big portion of students in the state, um, as is pointed out in the report. I think Colorado has the third largest number of students attending public charter schools. Um, and then the last reason, which I think is maybe the most important reason, is the intent of charter schools originally um, was to support the development of schools that might provide models for doing school very well um, and allow for freedom to do things a little bit differently. And so uh, uh, we were interested in trying to understand if, if that played out um, in the data related to what happened to schooling during the pandemic. I encourage you to head to our website at keystone.org slash missing year to download this report as well as its predecessor. But before you do, let me give you a few high level findings. First, the percent of Colorado students enrolled in charter schools continues to grow and charter schools saw increases in student enrollment during COVID-19 despite large declines in overall enrollment in public schools generally. Additionally, on average, charter schools had higher rates of student participation in statewide assessments of academic performance in literacy and math in the most recent year. On those assessments, charter schools had higher proficiency rates than district-run schools statewide, and the majority of charter schools also outperformed their district average, consistent with historic performance trends. However, and this is a key point we'll discuss in this episode, academic growth and performance in charter schools varies widely by grade and subject area. Finally, while demographics are associated with proficiency rates for all schools, the relationship between school demographics and assessment performance is weaker in charter schools than in district-managed schools. So, let's touch upon a few of the findings. First, enrollment in charter schools increased during the pandemic while it decreased at other schools. Tomi Amos, the CEO of KIPP Colorado Public Schools, offers her thoughts on why enrollment for charters increased. Um, I think we were able to put more resources behind tracking down our students, really focusing on attendance, making sure that we knew where they were, that they were staying with us. Um, I think, you know, in Colorado, we're all experiencing the rapid gentrification and the fact that we were in the middle of a pandemic and instruction was virtual, I think allowed some of our families to stay with us longer, even if they intended to move. Um, and so I think that that was another positive and benefit and the fact that we were able, you know, to distribute technology to all students one-to-one. -one. The fact that, you know, we kept running, um, a virtual ECE program for our students, which wasn't consistent across um, the district or the state, I think provided options for families that allowed them to stay with us at KIPP. Like Tomi, Michael Hayes believes being able to work directly with the community was a significant factor in why they did not see enrollment decline during the pandemic. We maintained in-person learning throughout the pandemic. The way that we did that was we our leadership team two principals and I sat down and pulled together a plan that was based on best practices that other folks were doing. And we called folks and asked them, 
relied on partnerships to develop that plan. And here's the key part. We then took it to our teachers to see what they would think. And they gave us feedback on that plan. And then we took it to our families to see what they thought. And we built buy-in throughout the process. And uh, it sounds like quite a process and it was, and it involved a lot of angst and a lot of discourse, but we got it done. And I think that was the key, was building buy-in in our community and sustaining that buy-in. And anytime there was a shift in the protocols, which as we know happened a lot, or anytime there was a bump in the cases we reached out to our community, reached out to our teachers, talked to our families and said, hey, what do you think about this new plan and got their feedback? We're doing that again now as we shift to this mask optional environment. While the Compass Charter Schools worked with the community to chart a path for in-person instruction during the pandemic, the KIPP schools worked with its parents and students to implement a hybrid approach during the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I think we... um like many organizations gave families the opportunity to come back if they wish. Um, And so we're able to provide sort of a hybrid experience for students, Um, but bringing kids back, but also maintaining that virtual option um, was really strong. And I think, you know, staying virtual for longer was also really important because it really helped our educators get really good at virtual instruction. I think that early pivot was a challenge for all of us, Um, but having the time to really hone in on their craft, deepen their practice, I think was um, something that actually made our programming virtually stronger. I think these differing approaches reinforce what education leaders already know. There is not just one universal right or wrong approach for education. But a tailored approach that is developed with buy-in from local stakeholders is what really drives effective education. It is in this area that charter schools were able to find success. Charters, by their design, are usually more community-centered. Families are also making an active choice to be in the school. And so I think that they start out with potentially a stronger relationship between the school and families. And, um, and because of that, they may be able to be more responsive than school districts, um, which are a little bit more removed. So it doesn't mean that district schools can also be super responsive to families, and we know that that was true. Um, but in general, districts are a little further removed from families. Now, it should be noted that while charter schools and district-run schools are similar in many ways, there are also major inherent differences that equate to basically an apples-to-oranges comparison. Take, for instance, school size. The Compass schools have 135 students in each charter school. That is a small percentage of the nearly 6,000 students in the Roaring Forks School District. Similarly, KIPP Colorado schools educate just over 2,500 of the more than 92,000 students in the Denver Public Schools District. That small size naturally make it less complicated for charter schools to work directly with their communities. Here's Hayes with more. A a big part of it is a function of size. And, uh, you know, we have a total of 40 staff on two sites. And when we decide to make a change, um, it usually or often comes through through those staff meetings. You know, here's a conversation that we had and literally we can do it in an hour. Contrast that with our district authorized schools, 
you know, Roaring Fork School District, by contrast, has something like 6,000 students, 14 schools. I might be wrong, but I think that's right. And so they actually have to have a communications person and a communications plan, and they have to work on uh, their really thinking about their rollout and contingency scenarios. And uh, it's just a lot simpler for us. So the logistical differences between charter and district-run schools clearly make a direct comparison imprudent. Additionally, our report also found that while the performance of students at charter schools was on average higher than those from district-run schools, there were also charter students that did dramatically worse. As I alluded to before, this wide variability in the results is quite significant. Here's Van with more. When you look at the, the numbers on proficiency, charter schools on average did slightly better, but a number of charter schools did dramatically better, and, some, and, and a number of charter schools did dramatically worse, if you look at the scatter plots. And so, um, as I've said to others, when you have more flexibility and freedom, that can sometimes lead to folks doing dramatically better or dramatically worse. School districts provide um, less flexibility sometimes, but they also provide more of a safety net in terms of performance on the upper end as well as the lower end. The variety of findings underscore the purpose of both of these Colorado's Missing Year reports. It's not about comparing schools. It's about finding what works and providing educators, administrators, policymakers, parents, and other stakeholders the information necessary to make education policy decisions that best serve our students. And in the case of charter schools and district-run schools, you see a lot of collaboration to find the most effective ways to educate different students. That collaboration was leveraged even more during the COVID-19 disruption. Amos explains more. When we all moved virtual, there was just a deep sense of collaboration across the sector. So all of us trying to partner together to figure it out, sharing resources, what you learn from someone in this state, this town, um, this school, we really, there was a really collaborative mindset um, that I appreciated. I think that um, you know, Denver Public Schools has had a portfolio of schools model that really was an opportunity to continue to share practices across governance models. And so, um, you know, we share buildings with, dist uh, with district-run schools. Um, you know, we all work in close collaboration together where possible. Um, it's always, there's always opportunities for us to all learn from one another. Van also believes that the authorization process is critical to developing high-performing schools and the standards should be held for all schools. We know that authorizing charter schools is a critical factor in ensuring that we get good schools to start out with and that we maintain effective schools throughout their lifespan. And I think that it's really important that policymakers focus on quality authorizing. I also think that the lessons from charter authorizing are the same for authorizing and running district schools. There really should be no difference, and the standards for what an effective school are should be the same across the board. We want to know if schools are supporting kids wherever they come from to learn to read and write and problem solve and be advocates for themselves in the world. I reiterate what I stated in our last episode about our analysis being only as good as the data we have available to analyze. 
Enrollment and performance data from the COVID-19 time period in Colorado has clear limitations and shows wide variation among schools and school governance types. However, this variation does not mean that there are not lessons that can be learned or issues that should be explored further within and based on the data. We have just a narrow glimpse of the overall picture. And while that is not enough to make a full assessment of just how significant of an impact the pandemic had on our students, it's certainly enough to make informed decisions on what we can learn from the disruption and more importantly, how to better support our students moving forward. Keynotes is a production of the Keystone Policy Center, a 501c3 nonprofit organization based out of Keystone, Colorado, which for more than 45 years has empowered leaders to reach common higher ground. This episode has been made possible by a contribution from the Denver Foundation. If you would like to offer feedback about the podcast or suggest topics for future episodes, please email me at mchavez at keystone.org. That's M-C-H-A-V-E-Z at keystone.org. If you would like to learn more about the Keystone Policy Center, visit our website at keystone.org. Thank you.